That's a king. That's a king. Limbaugh. I'm Christine Sear. I'm Brian Taft. And I'm Clay Russell. And we didn't talk ahead of time about what order we were going to say our names. Um, I feel like we always uh, know you're right. I screw that up because it should be semi-alphabetical, right? So yeah, I should be going middle. That's my fault, and guys. You were. I could see on camera you were far away from the mic. I was like, I guess it's me now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's all I'll immediate. You know what? We weren't going to have shows apologies at the top. We just talked about that. We're like, for once, there's nothing to apologize for. And Clay's like, hold my beer. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Hold my white claw and we'll see. Um... I can change that. <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay. Other than effing up our intro, I don't think we have anything to apologize for, but just in a little bit of an update from last week. Clay had taken an extreme interest in, like, rats um, diffusing bombs uh, and so forth. And I feel like there's there's some breaking news on that, Clay. Uh, yeah, I uh, after last week's show, we did get a fair amount of letters saying that the show is pro-rat. Mm-hmm. And I just want to step out and just clarify that, that, that the Limbaugh is not pro-rat. We just happened to come across a heartwarming story about a hero rat that cared about two things, uh, diffusing bombs and saving soldiers' lives. And if that's not uh, a wonderful thing to celebrate, I don't know what it is. I'll go ahead and counter that, though. Uh, This is a new feature of the show that I hope only lasts one episode. Uh, It's called Rat News. (laughs) And what... (laughs) This is is a breakdown of all of the both good and bad things that rats have been up to on the planet that we live on. Uh, First, this comes from the Onion AV Club, uh, which is that, once again, there are some crazy people working for universities, which, in my opinion, are the enemies of the state. Uh, This is at the Feinstein Institute for Medical Research in New York, of all places. And they have trained rats how to play the video game Doom. I will post this on the site that we have, but it shows these little critters uh, playing and sometimes beating people at the video game Dune. So that is the first thing that we should be concerned about. Uh, It's not all about goldfish sharing the highway with you. There also are rats that are beating you at video games and they will soon take over the world. Uh, Second news option Mm. is here in my neighborhood in Williamsburg, Brooklyn at McCarran Park. There is a illness lately that has befallen dogs at the dog park there. It turns out that uh, they all caught a disease called leptospirosis. And what that is, is it comes from rats (laughs) and it's the urine that they have on the grass and that the, the dogs are ingesting rat urine and that is making them sick. Uh, So once again, not all rats are good, but it's good to spotlight them. But the Limbaugh is not pro-rat. Um, this has been Rat <laughs> News. Back to you, Christine. Well, okay. And with the one listener that we didn't lose with our Rat News, um, 
maybe we'll lose you because the thing that we want to talk about is uh, semi-breaking news from when we were recording this, which is um, Justice Breyer's retirement from the Supreme Court. Finally. <laughs> you guys, I yes. like I feel like sometimes we talk about um members of show business, um, like our beloved Betty White, um, Jessica Walter, and I don't think we talked about Christopher Plummer, but he's someone who like worked well into his nineties. And I feel like when when people stay in the business late in their careers and it's a joyful experience, like getting to see them act and like do the thing that they love to do. It's wonderful. And when I see someone past 80 years old in a position of power in the government, I'm just like, get out. Like, what are you doing? So you must have been really excited to see that Nancy Pelosi will be running for her seat again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she didn't. You know what, though, though, like, sure, her district is San Francisco, California. I'm not concerned about that flipping to a Republican seat if she was to pass away in office, whereas it's been made very clear in the last four years about what happens when Supreme Court justices pass away, uh, when Republicans control either the Senate, the White House, or both. Oh, I have no beef with Nancy. I think she's kind of governed circles around a lot of people uh, in the last you know, four to six years, but I, um, I do remember her saying, oh, you know, I just, I want to be part of the transition to help set up President Biden for success, and then I'm going to step aside, and when I saw the, you know, announcement that she was like, of course I'm running, I was like, oh, mm. really? Well, and it's uh, okay. funny, because, like, other than little moments, like, getting to run the intro to this podcast, I almost never get to have any power so I guess it's easy for me to judge, but I'm just like, is it that great? Like, is it that great being in a position of power that like the years of your life where putting aside any like physiological changes to your body where you're physically and um, sorry to say it, but like mentally breaking down, don't you want to just like, doesn't she have like a $10,000 refrigerator full of ice cream? Like just go sit in your gorgeous Eames chair in your living room and eat your fancy ice cream. You know? Anyway, I got on an ice cream tangent. So yes, she's um, just she's not your pick for SCOTUS. Uh, just to certainly confirm. not. <laughs> um, yeah. You know what? I did hear someone suggest today, which I thought would be an amazing troll move with the Supreme Court, is uh, that Biden pledged to nominate an African American mm-hmm. woman for the next Supreme Court justice. And they were talking about the different candidates and all that. And they said, well, she's a little bit old. But if you do want someone who's an expert on the Constitution, it's Anita Hill. Oh, this is this is an audio <laughs> medium. So no one can see Brian and my faces. But we were both just like, you imagine the Democrats spinning. ramming in Anita Hill and the group photo of Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas. I mean, um, somebody wrote an opinion piece, I believe in uh, Washington Post last week, that there's like one more case uh, that the Supreme Court is, is going to do this um, term uh, about affirmative action and that Clarence Thomas has been like pushing to get this heard because he wants to overturn it. And the article was essentially um, summarizing the, you know, like close every door that's been open for you behind you as you uh, like, on your way out. Yeah. And um they were like, we believe that once he gets this taken care of, like this was his like 
you know, last push that he'll retire. And when I, when I saw like Supreme court retires, I was like, Oh my God, is it actually him? But it was Stephen Breyer. And I was like, well, I mean, I'll take anybody. It's nice just to have <laughs> anybody who yeah. wants to leave can leave. <laughs> Without a doubt, the damage has already been done. I think that people are celebrating the potential nominee here, but it's not necessarily going to, uh, you know, repair the damage that has been done. Yeah, you're replacing a liberal judge with hopefully another liberal judge. Um, but at least it's a new liberal judge who can hopefully serve for decades instead of one where the, sorry to be this blunt, but like the clock was ticking, you know. And that's why my pick is Zendaya. She's so good at everything. She's she so would versatile. kill this. She's only in her 20s. <laughs> she would. She's captivating. Uh, yeah, yeah, she can do anything. And um, she's got Tom Holland by her she side. She looks like she's healthy, too. Like, yeah, <laughs> she, she's not going to join the 27 Club. She, she's going to oh, live yeah. it out, and she could serve she, in the court for, for decades like, I'm pretty to come. sure on Euphoria, she's not actually taking the drugs. Is that what you got? Is that your understanding? <laughs> or is that a documentary? Uh, I, I don't oh, think it's okay. a documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so I she's think. clean. She's oh, no. that good. <laughs> I uh, Something that, that I'm proud of with our show is that we do take a step back and look at the big picture historical aspect of, of the news and how that relates to American history. And something that I thought a lot about with Stephen Breyer is that he has been a huge believer in the public statements that he's made of the impartiality of the justice system and how he's a big believer in not having right-leaning justices and left-leaning justices. He thinks that they kind of call the shots honestly. And I think that that's a noble belief to have in the Justice Department. But unfortunately, the White Houses and the Senate committees that are deciding these justices do not share your beliefs as well. And I think that it's a sad irony that two of the most iconic justices of the half century, which is obviously Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Thurgood Marshall, both of them were also believers in the impartiality of the Justice Department, and both of them passed away uh, only to have their replacements reverse a lot of their decisions. In Thurgood Marshall's dying months, saw Clarence Thomas take his exact seat and imagine spending your life, you know, starting off arguing Brown versus Board of Education and then becoming the first African-American Supreme Court justice only to, as you're dying, be replaced by Clarence Thomas because you didn't retire when uh, a Democrat was in the White House. And it's the exact same thing with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You know, she it's it's sad that probably the reason why Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned this year is because her replacement. So it's something to think about. Sorry to, to end it on a bummer note, but, you know, I think that, that someone's virtues are a great thing, but I think that Stephen Breyer today kind of faced facts and realized, as much as I want to believe this, this is reality and, and I need to step aside so we don't do... Uh, we don't further sway the the Supreme Court outside of, of that justice system. I do, if you'll allow me, I, I have a little statistic to share, which is in the last 30 years, there have been eight presidential elections, a.k.a. eight federal nationwide elections. In those eight elections, the Democrats have won seven of those eight. 
there have been eight justices that have been confirmed to the Supreme Court in the last 30 years. Democrats have only been able to confirm three, Republicans five. Once again, Democrats have won seven of the eight national elections, but have only been able to confirm three justices while Republicans five. In that statistic alone, I think that you should be able to take a step back and say, hey, you know, maybe I should time this a little bit easier so it's not too skewed because it certainly has been in the last 30 yeah. years. Yeah. Um, so as long as the uh, confirmation party isn't a super spreader event, um, I'm going to be just happy across the board. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I do want to change my mind, though. Um, I think that Zendaya is too iconic for the Supreme Court, and I really feel like um, Sotomayor has been so respectful, like, because she's the most iconic justice right now, and she easily could have, like, dropped her line of merch, like, uh, you know, Soto Major or something like that, um, mm -hmm. after Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. Like, she could have been like, it's me now. And, I mean, she had the street cred. She's from the Bronx. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I think we should give her a long, lengthy period of being the most iconic uh, justice on the court. And I think Zendaya would cut mm -hmm. in on that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, she was only in Dune for, like, eight minutes and half of the marketing. She yeah, ate that up. It was about her. <laughs> um, okay. Also, if Biden nominates a woman for the choice, that means that every single liberal justice will be female. The future is female, bitches. I mean, bitches, like, it's okay when I say bitches. <laughs> Three, uh, four isn't enough. When there It'll be enough when there are nine. Anywhere that decisions are being made. Uh, let's let's just get back to four at this point, Brian. That's that's going <laughs> to probably take decades you crawl alone, unfortunately. You can walk or however the thing goes. Okay, yeah. so back to business. Um, Brian is going to when we come back. Brian's going to give us a little recipient profile on Daniel quote Patrick Moynihan. Uh, but also, don't forget to follow us at Lib. Also, don't forget to follow us at Limp. You forgot the name of the show, Christine? Where am I? Who are you? How are you? How'd you get inside my computer? Um, Maybe you should retire as well. It. Let's let's think about hanging it up, okay? Huh. Okay. <laughs> follow us. Join us next week when Christine's seat is filled by Amy Coney Barrett. <laughs> <laughs> no. At Limbaugh Podcast on Twitter. Do have anything else? That's right, Christine. Yep, it's <laughs> it's written right there on the shared document. No, but I mean, do we have any other social media? Wrote it out for you. Oh my God, I am so... I'm going to take a nap during the break, and then we'll come back for Brian's um, morning hand profile. So stay tuned. Um, so this week, uh, I was faced with picking a recipient from the Clinton era, and I will save you the Wikipedia search. The Clinton era is the last one that I feel um, wasn't so Kennedy Honors-esque, whereas I feel like a lot of the Trump, Obama, and Bush the second uh, picks are like much more high profile and a lot of like big names in media and literature and 
just the popular culture. Um, so I was, for some reason, I, I thought that there would be like a, you know, a figure that we know, but that we don't know a lot about, like Pope John Paul II. But unfortunately, he died after Clinton left um, the White House. And then they rushed to make him one, I believe, under uh, George W. Bush. So uh, one of the names that stuck out to me uh, in Clinton's picks was Daniel Patrick Moynihan. And not because I think of him as a giant influence in my life, but because they just opened a train station for him. Um, spoiler alert for the end of the profile. And there's been a lot of um, news about that train station that we will get into and will actually inspire our Wikipedia showdown this week. Um, so I figured, let's pull back the curtain. Let's. Mm. Who is the man that the train station is named after? Uh, so... Daniel Patrick Moynihan was born uh, March 16th, 1927. He was an American politician, sociologist, diplomat, and was the Democratic senator uh, from New York who served as an advisor to President Nixon. Um, and Republican I made sure to include... Nixon. Oh, yes. And I made sure <laughs> to Cynthia include Nixon? that because... No, I, you know, it, if she had... It, a, lot of, a lot to be said there. Um, <laughs> the path not taken. <laughs> So, uh, born in Tulsa, Oklahoma, before moving to New York, uh, following a stint in the Navy, he earned a PhD from Tufts University <gasps> as Brian Tuft, you know, the owner of Tufts University, <laughs> thrilled to see an alumni do right. What, um, where is Tufts University, Brian? It's in Baston. Come on. You Baston? I didn't know. All right. I'm sorry. <laughs> there isn't a Russell University, okay? No, but is there, there a is a Russell Sportswear. So you're, you're doing okay. Is there? Um, oh, he's wearing he's wearing the merch. Do you get it for free? <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah, his, I wish his, I did. Just ships it to him. Yeah. Uh, so, Daniel Patrick Moynihan started his career in politics, joining the staff of the governor of New York, uh, Avril Harriman. Uh, he then leveled up by joining the administration of John F. Kennedy as the assistant secretary of labor, a job he held onto once Lyndon B. Johnson took over in 1963. He stepped away from public service to teach as a professor uh, at some point uh, after he felt that Lyndon, you know, was doing okay. He was like, I'm going to let somebody else take over. Uh, but oh, his time away from government. Relevant to our earlier discussion. Like, a gentleman <laughs> knows when to take his leave. And Daniel Patrick Moynihan was a gentleman. <laughs> Um, his time away from government was short-lived. Uh, he was invited to join the Nixon administration as a, uh, advisor. And, uh, thankfully he could read a room. He knew that the vibes were bad and he left the post at the end of 1970. Um, under president Gerald Ford, he was appointed, uh, the U S ambassador to the UN in 1975. And, uh, he left that position shortly thereafter, uh, in 1976 to run for Senate, the campaign was successful, and he served New York State as senator until 2001. And uh, I, this part I do uh, very well remember. Uh, his, feet, his seat was famously the one that Hillary Rodham Clinton uh, took over um, when she started her foray into politics, which went great. Uh, there was I mean... not a single hiccup. <laughs> yeah, nothing to discuss there. No. Um, he was a critic of Reagan's foreign policies uh, during his administration and then uh, was a critic of Bill Clinton's health care and welfare reforms. Um, and he truly was a figure that seemed capable of working with both parties and, you know, criticizing them uh, openly. Uh, there was no, um, you know, it was true uh, policy over party. 
Um, he voted against the Defense of Marriage Act, which makes him a gay icon, in my opinion, and is tied with Jacob Javits as the longest-serving senator from the state of New York. Um, oh on his personal like life, two of the biggest like civil na- name brands in the city now. And yeah. they both have, like, great institutions named for them on the West Side. Amazing. Massive. The West Side loves the Senate. East Side, not so much. Yeah. Um, it's old money. In terms of personal life, I mean, Moynihan was married. I Sarah Palin in restaurants whenever they want. So, yeah. Did you see that video, though, of her getting chased out of the little uh, shanty on the curb? That was good. That was a bomb <laughs> no, for I the didn't. soul. All right. Uh, save that for later. <laughs> okay. Um, That'll be my night-night video. <laughs> In terms of his personal life, Moynihan was married for 48 years to Elizabeth Brennan. Uh, They had three children, including Maura Moynihan. Um, This is the most Irish family stuff I've ever heard, by the way. Well, get ready. (laughs) We're going to do some racism. Ah, I'm so Irish. (laughs) Um, Under his personal life, I had to like Google and like, you know, kind of like look up um, the dark web, go to several sites to find out like who his wife was. When did they get married? Like it was not listed readily on his Wikipedia profile. The only thing that was there is the story that I'm about to tell, which is um, Maura Moynihan, who was recently criticized for her racist behavior. In March of 2021, she was recorded on a cell phone camera attacking a Korean-American couple, at one point telling them, go back to China and you do not belong here. Um, Which is a story that just happened almost a year ago, and I have no recollection. And I feel like we we had that, like, explosion of... Those videos going viral after that yeah. woman threatened to call the cops in Central Park. And I don't understand how the longest or tied for longest running senator of New York's daughter, who just had her, just saw her father's name inscribed on the old pen, on the extension of Penn Station, was, was not news that made my radar, especially in 2021. I was still paying attention. I was still listening to Pod Save America. I, I don't even <laughs> well, know if they still record that. I, who? John Lovitz. <laughs> what is Pod Save America? I'm going to leave it. <laughs> Um, and then on August 9th, 2000, President Bill Clinton awarded him the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Um, he passed away shortly thereafter on March 26th, 2003, my 16th birthday. Um, he decided he was not coming to my sweet 16. <laughs> and in January of 2021, the city of New York named an expansion of Penn Station after him. Moynihan had long championed the project as he had shined shoes in the original Penn Station as a child uh, growing up during the Great Depression. Oh, um, God. One of the last things he did before retiring was fighting to actually secure uh, federal funding for the expansion. So just to give you an idea of how bureaucratic our government is, it took 20 (laughs) years after he got the funding to actually open it and put his name on it. Um, But the... I, I do not. I live in Queens. I do not take commuter lines, so I have no reason to go to this train station. But I will say um, the train station is notorious for those who live outside the New York City area because there is no seating because it was built um, to, you know, essentially like expose someone's distaste and pure blind hatred for the homeless. Um, so I made sure uh, to pull up an article, which we're going to have Christine and Clay read from the New York Post. Um, if last week uh, was talking about opulence, I, I want you to really lean in. I want you, I want like, I want you to channel Judge Janine Pirro. I want you to judge Tucker Carlson. I want you going for Fox <laughs> News. Yep. Clay, I'm going to let you decide if you want to read the first two paragraphs or the last two paragraphs as the returning champion from last week. Okay, thank you for the honor. Um, I uh, 
I, as I said, I haven't read this, and I'm going to try not to read it. Christine, do you have a, a preference on which one you want to do? Um. And we're going. Should we read? Should we split up the entire article? Because it looks like there are six paragraphs total. Should we do three and three, Brian? Or I feel like the first four are really the barn burners. So okay, got it, got it. Okay. I mean, if you it, like, if you get into it and you're like, you sprout a bow tie and suspenders, and you're like screaming <laughs> about, screaming. you know, uh, the erasure of white man's culture, right? You don't get what the big problem is with Russia <laughs> invading the Ukraine, right? Okay, I actually like the first two paras, <laughs> if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. <clears throat> From the out of touch world of progressives. Advocates are upset that the new Moynihan train hall is off-putting to the homeless, the city reports. After taxpayers spent $1.6 billion, American dollars, on the renovation, it would be wrong if the homeless claimed the territory as an annex to their omnipresence at Penn Station. This isn't heartless. New York spends tens of millions of dollars a year on housing for the homeless, Providing shelter for every person who wants it. Just because some people would rather sleep in a train station and panhandle the passengers doesn't mean the city must accommodate them. That the homeless feel unwelcome among the glistening grand of the elegant waiting area and are opting to stay put in pen is a loss only New Jersey transit commuters as Amtrak and LIR passengers enjoy the new hall. The quote-unquote mean features of Moynihan include a lack of seating for anyone except ticketed passengers and daily closure from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. But general seating will come once stores open in the new hall, so enjoy a vagrant free hall while you can. And pray that New York's political leaders learn to ignore the advocates and start getting serious about treating the homeless people as people who need tough love, not ridiculous, quote-unquote, rights that do them no good, but leave them a plague on so many of our gentle and proper public spaces. Wow. Wow. Um, I don't envy you, Brian. It's tough, uh, but I'm going to give it to Christine because she so wholeheartedly embodied Judge Jeanine Pirro that I could smell Pinot Grigio just like <laughs> wafting off of her. <laughs> well deserved, so Christine. Much. You're you were the Susan Lucci of the Wikipedia Face Off, and you you got one. Yeah. This is a big deal. This well is deserved. Your first one. Yeah. Um, I know bipartisanship is dead, um, but do either of you have any suggestions on who this person may be today? Well, I mean, it's funny because you already, um, I've, if we say his name three times, he might appear, <clears throat> but you already said Pete Buttigieg, and I feel like that's not him yet. But, like, isn't that a possible future for him? Sort of this, like, because I see him at, like, as so I'm a train nerd. Um, I'm really into trains, both, like, I just enjoy being on them, and I think they're like, I think emphasizing cars, like, development and city planning around cars has been like ruinous for most American cities, including New York. Um, and so to me, the reason I think of Pete, um, is because he seems to be like a train nerd as well. Um, I guess the only caveat with like picking him is it remains to be seen if this is something he's going to have a lasting, um, 
career with, you know, and like where that career is going to go. But, um, God, in terms of bipartisanship, I have no idea. I do wonder if the days of a politician, if they leave office for a bit, the days of them advising an opposite party are over. When was the last time that even happened? I mean, I, I literally don't know. Have you guys ever seen the, like, scatter plot? It's probably, like, don't come at me, information design nerds, but, like, I think it's a scatter plot of the, um, like, the basically... I'm going to butcher this, but I'm just going to power through it. Like, you know, um, the red and the blue depicting, like, who is a Democratic and Republican senator and then, like, where they tended to vote on things over the year. Like, it was, like, time elapsed over a certain number of decades, and there was a lot more jumbling. Like, the way it's supposed to work is, like, most people are in the middle because that's how, like, you know, the bell curve, like, that's how reality works. Um and then, like, in the last 10 years, it's become this, like, terrifying gulf in the middle with, like, one or two randos who we shall not name because we're kind of mad at them right now. I mean, maybe we're looking at this with rose-tinted glasses, but I do feel like back then the politicians represented their constituents and the interests of their local constituents to their county to their district to their state whereas now it's just purely complete lockstep with your national party or i feel like because right now if you're a democrat um cinnamon cinnamon (laughs) oh that's their joint name cinnamon (laughs) cinnamon mansion did i just Mm. wait should i that's their brangelina i'm gonna yes yes it is like The reason why they are not being admired, I think, for what could maybe be, like, argued as bipartisanship is it only seems to be um, obstructive and not productive. Like, I think what actual bipartisanship is would be someone actually making something happen instead of stopping something from happening. And that's what I'm struggling to come up with is like, yeah, once in a, you know, like Mitt Romney voted yes on one of the impeachment charges for Trump. But like, you know, it's like we get these what little What did that do like, to further anything? Right. Yeah. And he gave like the world's biggest stink eye to um, Josh Hawley. He was like pontificating at the night of the um, insurrection. And yes, Romney Josh Hawley. had like... Yep three masks on and he has that like magnificent head of hair and this like death gaze coming from his eyes. And I liked Mitt Romney for like 90 minutes and I'll never forget it. Um, but those are the sort of thing that we get these little like morsels where a politician with like relatively little to lose, um, in a particular, uh, vote or like big high profile moment, you know, like John McCain and the, thumbs down for that was still one of the best moments of all time i would say i think my modern equivalent of of uh moynihan is low-hanging very obvious fruit and it would be joe biden because we have long-serving senator Mm. hand in glove working with presidents loves a train (gasps) great point damn it you're right Yeah, I mean, I, there will be several train stations Irish? named after Joe Biden. Irish? Oh, yeah. Didn't marry an Irish lady, though. Although maybe it was the first wife Irish. 
We did have a very controversial 2021 for Hunter Biden, uh, just like we did for Maura Moynihan. Um, <laughs> thankfully, less racism from Hunter, which and we love to see. General we, sloppiness, which is, you yeah. know. But, um, yeah. But, yeah. Um, Patrick, uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, you seem like a good guy. Yeah. Uh, let's get some seats in that train station, please. Come back from the dead and make yes. it happen. I need to sit down while I drink my $7 blue bottle cappuccino. I don't want to spill a drop. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, very, very interesting to learn more about him. Um, when we are back, uh, we'll be doing our medals of the week. And we are back with the medals of the week. A lot of stuff has happened in the last week since our last episode. Christine, do you want to start us off? I sure do. Um, so this was circulating on Twitter this past week. I'm not sure if it's a brand new quote, but it's so wonderful that since it came to my attention this week, I think it counts as a Medal of the Week um, candidate. So it's Harrison Ford. Perhaps you've heard of him. I think the movies he's been in have cumulatively grossed about $8 billion. Um, and here's, here's the thing. Uh, when Harrison Ford was asked if Han Solo was a force ghost in The Rise of Skywalker, his answer was, I have no fucking idea what a force ghost is, and I don't care. Um, That's a king. I know. Yeah. And I, I'm kind of picturing him saying that quote in his, like, Air Force One, get the hell off my plane voice, which makes it even better. Um, okay, so here's why I like this so much. Um and I know Star Wars is probably, like, um, one of the more prob- uh, prominent examples of, like, toxic fandom. Like, for as many people, and being online is, like, a magnifier. So you're always, re- like, the people who have the mo- are the most fired up about something like casting decisions in Star Wars or storytelling decisions in Star Wars are going to be the loudest. Like, I think there's plenty of people who are just like, yeah, Star Wars was cool. I mean, it wasn't my favorite, but, like, we'll move on. But, like, those aren't the people you hear from. And so I think everybody in the new um, Star Wars films who, like, entered the franchise in this era <laughs> has a different relationship with with that, like, the discourse than someone like Harrison Ford, who was, you know, first stepped onto a Star Wars set in, like, 1977, 78, something like Sounds that. Sounds right. And he's just 77 like, is when A New Hope came out, yes. I'm glad I was right about that. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think the other thing is like every once in a while I'm reminded that um, like for actors, especially ones like Harrison Ford who aren't super for as like much of a, a box office draw he is, or at least has been like, he's not really into being a celebrity. And so it's like, he just doesn't like he, <laughs> it's a job. It would be like, you know, someone constantly asking me about, you know, my first job out of college. Like, remember when you, you know, you did that thing on the website and then the thing happened? I'll be like, not really. Yeah, I guess. And so it's just like, what the fuck is a force ghost? I don't know. I don't care. It was a pain job. That's all I cared about. Yeah. So hats off to you, Harrison Ford, for keeping it, keeping it 100 um, my medal of the week is going to Cynthia Nixon, uh, which is why when you said um, governor guys, or president Cynthia Nixon, I like was kind of like, because I almost <laughs> went into it. Um, but this is not a 
And just like that podcast, uh, you can uh, follow along on my other podcast entitled And Just Like That. Uh, where I criticize every episode of And Just Like That. Um, But uh, for those of you who have watched, or for those of you who just need a little backstory, um, Cynthia Nixon's character, Miranda, is uh, dealing with the late-in-life realization that she may be queer, uh, which uh, very closely mirrors Cynthia Nixon's actual life. And they are exploring the storyline. There is a character... Uh, played by the actor Saura Ramirez, uh, named Che Diaz, who has terrorized viewers and the internet for weeks. Um, (laughs) The actual storyline and the scripting of it has been a little ham-handed, but Cynthia Nixon has elevated the material that she's given week after week. Uh, She is just an incredible, incredible, incredible performer. And she's bringing that um, to this show, uh, even though they are unfortunately not able to match her. And the week uh, where she came out of the closet to uh, Charlotte and Carrie on the show um, reminded me why she's only one Oscar away from an EGOT. Uh, You know, she is incredible. And um, tonight after the podcast, I'm actually going to be watching her other HBO show, uh, The Gilded Age, uh, which films right by Christine and I's house at um, yeah. the studio in Atlas Park. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, over the summer last year, when I was like passing to go to Christine's house, I would see them coming out with all these costumes and props and uh, stuff, which is truly a New York experience. Uh, but um, yeah, I just, the idea that she's on two original HBO shows that are probably going to do gangbusters numbers um and the idea that she did have that iconic tweet a few weeks ago, where or months ago at this point, where she tweeted, the difference between Andrew Cuomo and I is that neither of us are governors, but I got to keep my Emmy. And to me, <laughs> she will always be queen. <laughs> All right. She's governor of my so. heart. <laughs> She's the good Nixon. Yes. So, Brian, and just like that, are you happy that it came out? Uh, I couldn't help but wonder. Um, (laughs) I actually, I'm very happy that it's out. And the, I, I, I'm actually like in the camp where I see the flaws in the, uh, project, but I also, uh, I love spending time with these characters and I do feel like every, uh, episode has gotten better. And I was just telling my sister as we watched the most recent episode and I was like, I hate to be that person. Like the first four episodes are terrible, but if you can get past them, it's really good. And I was like, and... (laughs) That's uh, right now they're unsure if they're coming back for season two, but I very much hope that they they do. Cool. You know, more more uh, more steady work for Evan Handler, please. He deserves it. (laughs) All right. Well, my medal uh, was a bit preempted by uh, Christy and I was going to go into full on rat news, Uh, but it's okay. (laughs) I uh, (laughs) come up with one. Uh, my medal of the week, uh, is in general, uh, uh, talking shit, basically. Uh, I think that, that Brian enjoys spotlighting that as well. The first one is when talking shit goes wrong. And that, uh, is awarded to, uh, the, uh, singer and frontman of my favorite band of all time. Uh, Brian and Christine can see it is, uh, I don't know how cameras work. This one right here, uh, which is Blur's self-titled album. And that band was led by one Damon Albarn, 
who decided to appear on an interview this week and say that Taylor Swift does not write her own songs. Uh, and uh, this was not the 90s when he would trade barbs with the Gallagher brothers in Oasis because Taylor Swift immediately clapped back at him and he immediately apologized. So, yeah, mm-hmm. when talking shit goes wrong, uh, on the flip side of that is when it goes right, which is one Peter Dinklage, who I have always respected. Uh, first time that Peter Dinklage, when I saw him, was in the Michael Showalter film The Baxter. Uh, and he absolutely is incredible in that scene as someone who the character is not about his dwarfism. It's it's purely someone who was holding the screen and immediately respected him from that. This was years before Game of Thrones. And then obviously his scene in Elf when he very much uh, beats the hell out of Will Ferrell for... <laughs> for uh, mocking him. And he's someone that's always really stood up to, to people in his community. And when the topic was raised this week on uh, WTF with Mark Marin, he uh, said this about the new Snow White that's coming out. Quote, take a step back and look at what you're doing there. It makes no sense to me. You're progressive in one way and you're still making that backwards story about seven dwarves living in a cave together what the f- are you doing man so uh, i enjoy sure that that yeah he's absolutely uh sticking up and and i always have respected that he's always been very outspoken so my medal of the week goes to peter dinklage it's had some real impact too like disney is in damage control mode and they're um already you know you're hearing about them making changes to the movie or um who knows what the ultimate result is going to be but if you if you're basically like if your voice is powerful enough that literally disney (laughs) is gonna be like oh shit we better we better fix this um i totally agree more power to him yeah and he's using his his presence and his his success and celebrity for good yeah I am curious to see if he is going to get a nomination for the Oscar for Cyrano, because I feel like it was already kind of in the whispers, like, you know, like, oh, he's really good. He does his own singing. And he is somebody who, I mean, he won, like, what, three or four Emmys for Game of Thrones? Like, I think the last one, he was really like, me? Again? It wasn't even a good season. Yeah, yeah. he was much too, you know, gracious to say that, but uh, that was pretty much what his face said when they Bye-bye. called his name. So I feel like he is an incredibly beloved figure in Hollywood, and mm-hmm. I think the idea that he is uh, turning out uh, what some are saying is like, you know, great career defining work in this film, and then to have this on top of it, where it's him, you know, standing up to uh, essentially like a monolith in our culture, where Disney kind of runs everything: our vacations, our movies, our TV, our streaming, our childhoods. <laughs> Um, say that I, um, I most certainly do think that, uh, the odds are good and I don't want to be cynical and be like, Oh, this is great for his Oscar campaign. But that, that was my first thought was I was like, when you can kind of have like a, a story, like it's pretty much the opposite of the Jessica Chastain defending the guy from succession thing where it was like, Ooh, why are you doing this during Oscar season? When he stood up and spoke his mind and was, it was received and it, you know, as hopefully will shift meaningful change in this project and not make yeah. it um, offensive because I can tell you as a child who grew up watching Disney movies, I did think that uh, dwarfism was like some sort of magical thing where, you know, I was like, oh, 
like very much like uh, Buddy the Elf in Elf, where I was like, oh, do you work uh, making shoes or do you work in a, do you make cookies in a tree? Like, I really, you know, was very uh, affected by that. So I think the idea of him standing up and kind of saying like, this is bullshit. There's so few opportunities for me, who is the um, most successful little person actor. Um, and you're going to fucking make a movie where we're going to be further reduced. Like this is not the visibility we want is amazing. Good for him. It's also, I just looked it up that Snow White was released in 1937, Wizard of Oz, 1939, two years apart. And those two films single-handedly kind of put that portrayal of dwarfism in that negative light. And absolutely. I'm sure that that is something that, that Peter Dinklage did not want to see repeated again. So yeah. Cheers to him. I have to also say, um, as a game of Thrones watcher in the first season, his British accent was really bad and then it got really, really good. So I could tell he like worked on it between seasons. And, and by the end you like, sometimes I would forget he's American. Very good. That stuff's really important to me. I just wanted to give him a shout out for his. Um... Christine has decreed a mini medal for Peter Dinklage's <laughs> accent coach. For his accent coach. Well done, Peter Samantha. Dinklage accent coach. <laughs> yes. Well, that's our show, guys. We did it. Patrick Moynihan, Rat News, uh, all that. So, well done. Once again, you can find us on Twitter at Limbaugh Podcast. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.